It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seaboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, everyone, and good morning to you. Uh, here we are in our weekly event for all of the IOs, HR, recruiters, and all of us who like to help people in the business world. Uh, today, we're going to have, uh, I think this is going to be an exciting discussion. Let's see where this one goes. Uh, today, we're talking about building and implementing an effective leadership program. Uh, Jeremy, start us off with this uh, another one that you came up with, or was this another one that somebody uh, put into us? This was a submission uh, from our request for topics, so that's where it where it came from. And it's one of these interesting things when you talk when you talk to people on a, on the ground in organization. When you talk to you know right you know right towards middle and, and upper management, one of the things that they feel is lacking is supervisor development. So we've had a lot of talk between what's the difference between a supervisor and a manager, right? So usually it's, you know, frontline then supervisor, then manager, then you have your um, directors and so forth. So when we look at, when we talk about leadership, we also, we often talk, so I'll probably attend when I speak, I'll probably attend to this on both the, in terms of a leadership program, both the supervisory and the management level, because that seems to be what is is really needed. Yes, of course, leaders up top need leadership development, but how many leaders up top are going to say, I'm going to take time out of my schedule to go through a rigorous leadership program, because a lot of them probably feel like, hey, I've already been there. That's how I got to where I'm at is because I'm a good leader. So we're going to, we're going to, my focus is probably going to be towards, um, companies that are saying we need better supervision skills, we need better supervisors, and we need better managers. So looking at it, at it towards towards that angle. And isn't it true that with like businesses changing right now, we're seeing the birth of the remote worker, the hybrid worker, the gig economy, you may be, you know, bringing some of those people in as well. And especially at that mid-management level, where are the skills to manage those people? Because this seems to be a way that business is evolving. And, you know, although there's some organizations been doing this for 20 or 30 years, it's really caught a lot of organizations off guard. Um, so isn't it, <laughs> how do we implement a leadership program? But what is the leadership program we're implementing? I mean, is leadership itself changing now with the birth of the remote or hybrid workforce? My, I, I tend to think that... <sighs> 
in some ways, just from my experience and working with organizations, sometimes I find that those who are, I know this is going to sound odd, that those who are, are uh, have more of a managerial title or a supervisory title sometimes have better leadership skills than those with leadership titles and leadership positions because they're closer to the, they're, they're the closest referee to, to what's going on. And to the extent that they're empowered to be, to be more leaders than managers, then they can start to make those changes that will actually affect the experience of the, of the employees. So I think that's uh, I think that, that makes a big difference there. Well, let me throw this out to you and to everybody, because I see the need for this type of training, especially at the mid-manager level. Are they interested in getting the training? They, they love it. So I've, I've, I've implemented, I've created and implemented um, different leadership programs for, for organizations, right? And my, I think my, my pride and joy is one that's a, it's a nine, nine, nine week program that I've used and I've, I've tailored and I tailored to one specific organization. And I've, you know, I would make people would go through an application process. You know, they're, they're going to get in, but the application process is here. Here's about me. Here's a bio. Here's why I think I would be good for the leadership program and then have their supervisors, you know, their, their managers recommend them for it. And I'll tell you, there is so much energy. There is such a, a desire and a need and a love for it. And you, you want to talk about some of the best and brightest people in organizations. What I found are those that are new to a, a supervisory position. Um, some of the programs that I've, that I've done are, are ones that um, you, know, you create based on this methodology of it's geared towards people who are new to supervisory positions or new to supervisory positions in that organization. Because in order to get some of that socialization process and in, in regards to, of course, what, what are the normal things that are done here, right? So socializing them. Uh, but they, they eat it up. They, they love it. They work on assignments out. You know, they're not supposed to work on assignments outside of work time. And nor are they really assignments, per se. But they, uh, when you do it effectively, and those are some of the components that I'm going to talk about today in terms of doing it effectively, when you, when you have an effective program, it's not, uh, it's not tiresome. It's not boring. People look forward to, to coming to it. And it, we, you know, we'll also make sure we talk about how, how they're facilitated too, because you can have the same content and you can have a bad facilitator or bad to facilitators and that content just becomes bad <laughs> or unrecognizable content. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, Dr. Martha, I'd like to go to you next because you, uh, Jeremy's talking about building an effective leadership program, but what does that include, especially today? Well, I think we have to take so many things that happened over the last few years into consideration before the pandemic some of the things that I was seeing when it came to leadership and leadership skills were things like remote teams or international teams, things like that. But now we have all of these new variables, people working from home, hybrid work. This business is needing to reinvent itself in so many ways, in so many cases, and that has to be taken into consideration. So what we need to have in, in proper uh, leadership training are things that encompass 
all of those variables, right? We have to we have to realize what are the people in this company, the managers, the leaders in this company dealing with. If you have no exposure to international contacts, you have no international teams, then maybe that doesn't need to be much of a focus, if any, for the training. But if that's part of your reality for your managers, for your need, uh, leaders, then you need to address that. Right. The other thing uh, Jeremy had touched upon uh, the quality of the trainer. I think the other part of it is to how the organization sells the training. Is this training something that is mandatory and we're going to cram it down your throat even though you have no time to do this? Or is this an exciting opportunity to help you with your growth and development that will um, eventually be beneficial for the organization and the individual. So there are so many things to consider, but I think there's a certain level of uniqueness for each organization. So before uh, one size fits all uh, type of um, training is designed and implemented, I think that some of that customization needs to be taken uh, into consideration and then we need to go from there. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Linda Ann, let me go to you next because you know, especially from that HR perspective, are there some, you know, Dr. Martha talks about unique needs of the organization, but, you know, A, are there some common ones or what are you seeing out there? And then I want to ask you something else. (laughs) I think that, um, you know, when, when Jeremy said that, that he has people apply for the management and so forth for the, the, the training and things, I think that's really important because one of the keys in my mind is for managers to understand that this is a commitment to a responsibility. And it's not just something that you're given the title and then you keep doing what you've been doing, right? My philosophy of management has always been, and this was before I even understood servant leadership and so forth, has been that I manage upside down. And that is where I um, make sure I've got qualified people, right? There's always that. But then my job is to help them understand where we're going and then remove the roadblocks. What do you need to get there? What do you need? What's in your way? Those kinds of things. And so that's my preferred management style. And I think it serves a lot of people. I don't know that that a lot of managers really understand the, the concept. And if they approach it that way, it makes it an easier process, I think, to get involved on a personal level with people. Um, and yeah, I think that the primary purpose of leadership is to enable others to success. So does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, I think so. And and you touched on my my next question a little bit as well, because you know, I've been that employee where HR goes, we're doing a new program and we all do it. And HR, you know, will contact me to make sure that I've done the program. But once the program's complete, that's the last I ever hear of it. There's no sort of follow through. So you talked about the commitment. How do we get organizations to accept change more than just in, you know, Jeremy's nine week program? How do we keep that living and moving forward? Ah, because that's the one thing that I wanted to, to, to emphasize is leadership, leadership and leadership training is not a silo process, right? It's not this thing over here and you do it. And, and it's part of the grander scheme for the organization. 
And so it needs to be integrated with the clarity of purpose, the the values that you're using in your organization. And one of the things that's really, I think, left out in a lot of organizations is they set goals, but don't identify strategy. Right. And how do you how are you going to implement that process? And what's really important for creating some continuity is integrating those things and the leadership training and the leadership expectations into the performance expectations of the leaders. So it becomes part of their performance review, performance um, expectations, goals, all those kinds of things. And then you also need to teach them how to align their staff, their, their team with the, the goals of the organization and the goals of, of themselves, right? Whatever their expectations are, if they're set correctly and you have your employees support you, um, then there becomes that alignment and that integration. Um, the, the other thing with that, and I just lost, lost the thought, um, maybe that will come to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, go to Ariana next, because Ariana, I'd love to hear some experiences you've had with this, with developing these leadership programs and then making them effective. And especially when you might get some pushback. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I feel like context matters. Like we always say, it depends. It sometimes does. I like a lot of the points that have been raised. And it is interesting seeing the volunteer method of having people sign up for the programs, because oftentimes when I have facilitated leadership programs or enlisted people, it usually is not volunteer. And I have seen, you know, I think there's pros and cons to that approach because I think sometimes volunteering can also add a barrier to people who might not think they're qualified or don't know if the investment in the application is going to get them in because sometimes it's not clear on what the selection criteria is and if you just feel like another thing versus if leadership says we're committing this time to the investment of your leadership, we'd really like everyone to participate, to grow our leaders together. Um, So I think there's pros and cons there. I also think it was kind of interesting what Jeremy said at the beginning around not starting with senior leaders, because I would say that my philosophy tends to be start at the top. But I think that comes from me working with a lot of construction companies that have had zero leadership training, you know, in contrast, when we talk about like Fortune 500s, where maybe they have had numerous programs throughout their elevating themselves on the leadership ladder. But I think the benefit of starting at the top with leaders, especially if they have had limited leadership training exposure in the past, is that you kind of begin to cultivate a worldview. You know, I've seen in leadership programs, we talk about worldview, and it's the first time that some leaders have ever considered the set of glasses that they have in the world. And like, showing them that and putting them through personality assessments to really like cultivate their own leader self-awareness can be really important. And then tying it back to what Linda Ann was saying to the mission and the values of the organization. How do we want to see our leadership competencies? How do we want to develop them so that we can then roll it out? So we know, uh, or our organization based on our mission and values, this is what we see as a leader. And we're going to be able to exemplify these behaviors And then you can tailor middle management and first-time leader trainings around that. Um, So I kind of like the funnel from the top version, but there's many ways to tackle leadership challenges. And perhaps you're having challenges with first-time leaders, and that's where you want to start your focus. So I think you can take um, different approaches, but that's just my two cents. And we have many hands up, so I'll turn it back over. 
Uh, I'm not seeing any hands up. That just could be my connect. Oh, wait, there they are. I'll open that screen. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, Lee, I've got you up first, so let's go to you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I, I want to I throw out real quick a, a, an example of how not to do this. Um, you know, during my time in the Navy, they came out with a, a program for, you know, junior leaders who are, are going up. And, you know, they said it's mandatory. Everybody's got to do it. But then the, the guidelines were pretty general. So each organization, you know, internal organization was to come up with their own program, you know, with different amounts of success. But see, the, the problem was, is that you had the people all the way at the top saying, we're going to do this. It's a great idea. It's mandatory. Everybody's got to participate. But then the people down at, towards the, you know, the middle and, you know, that they're like, well, we're too busy. We don't have time to let our people go do that. And there was no no consequence to that. So your people don't show up. Well, the people are not, are, are there's potential consequence to the participants who are not participating, but not to the supervisors above them that are saying, I don't have time to let you go. And so, as you can imagine, the participation was not very high. And, you know, people would rail and they'd have all these people get in these big meetings and they, we got to do this. And, and, but then, you know, some of the people that were yelling the loudest were the people who didn't let their people attend. So, uh, you know, there's, a, you know, and sometimes, you know, mission critical, you know, sometimes you just can't, but some of these people, they just, they, they were old school. They were the ones that needed to retire and, you know, weren't getting with the program. Uh, but then that was part of your evaluation. You know, did you participate? And it was also, it was, and to some level, it was also a peer training. So people who were part of it were able to volunteer to help facilitate, to come up with topics. Uh, well, topics were pretty well lined out, but to, to come up with material based on, you know, the, the, the parameters given to actually present to each other, um, you know, I mean, almost kind of like a Toastmasters kind of thing, really. I mean, because they were given a topic and whatever, and they would present to their peers, then they would have discussions. Um, so when it actually worked, it worked fairly well. But the, the organizations that had it were very, very small in comparison to the whole Um so it's, it's crucial, I mean, vital to get the buy-in on all levels. You know, we talk a lot about the top and the bottom, but the middle is, is, is just as crucial of making sure that they give their people the time and the bandwidth to go and to do these things um, and not expect them to do it out of, you know, out of their time, you know, off shift or, or whatever. I mean, that, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. And I've seen it both in and out of the military. You know, they, you got to do this, but then we don't give you time to do it. You know, yeah, you got to yeah. do it outside of your normal shift or whatever. And I'm like, well, and who's, who wants to do that? You know, I got stuff to do. You know, I got a family. I don't want to sit here and, and spend an extra couple of hours doing stuff that you told me I got to do, but you don't give me time and, you know, on and on and on and on. Yeah. So. And, you know, you talked about military, especially the Navy, but what I was hearing was family business. Like we sometimes focus on the larger corporations, but boy, sometimes family businesses, you know, you perfectly described, especially with that succession and maybe yeah. it's time to move on. And how do you train them the next generation? Yeah. You know, it's funny that you, you know, before I, I joined the Navy, I worked for a family owned company. Uh, it's actually a fairly large company, uh, third generation, I think uh, at that time. And the guy who was in charge, you know, in any other organization, he wouldn't be there. And they were, he would come up with these things and you go, we can't do that. You know, sometimes we can't do that. It's illegal. And he'd say, no, I don't care to do it anyway. And, and <laughs> so you got, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. Yeah. Um, but 
before I get on another rant, I'll let it go to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Dr. Martha next. Dr. Martha. As we look at designing and implementing training, I think it's important to consider some input from the people who would be receiving the training. It's worth to ask them, what would you like to learn? And where do you think your weaknesses are? Where do you think you would benefit? What kind of um, training would benefit you? And it doesn't mean that you go solely by what they say, but it's something to consider when we look at what kind of training would be most beneficial, both for the individual and for the organization. So I think that some uh, conversation um, and, and ideas exchange would be worthy before uh, training is created and implemented. That makes total sense, but it's a novel idea like actually talking to people before we decide what kind of training they need. Why, why is that like, why don't we start there? Why is that standard procedure? Or is it just people want to like buy a package? I don't know. It could be anything from hierarchy and egos and do as I say, and it's always how it's been done. And it could be so many different things, right? All of those old excuses. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, and we'll go to you next. And then Jeremy, will come back to you. Yeah, I think that um, one of the important things is when you're doing the leadership training is to make sure that, um, you know, they, they, they bought in, but that they're also correctly incentivized. And that is, you know, they have specific expectations that require appropriate management. And one of those expectations is retention. If People in organizations often look at, you know, people leaving or whatever is that, you know, human resources isn't bringing the right people or we're not getting enough people or whatever it is. But when you push down the expectation for retaining your employees, that creates a different sense of urgency for paying attention to your employees. And so I think that that's part of what the leaders need to be responsible for is what's it going to take? to keep retention at a certain level. You know, when I worked in some organizations, if you had people leaving, they didn't look at the people, they looked at the leader. What's going on here? And so I think it's important to, to look at that. Um, and then I think it's important also, again, to make sure that the leadership team, the leaders that you are training, understand the purpose of their leadership. Where are they going? So that as a group, they're all leading in the same direction. You talked about incentivizing people with the training. In my experience, you know, whether it's been in, in business or in the, the world of academia, when training was provided, the incentive was, this is part of your job. You have to do this. And if you don't do it, you're in trouble. Not a really good incentive to actually have people do the work and actually embrace the work. So how do we incentivize it so that those employees want to participate and they, and they want to do the work? Is it, a, is it about involving them early on and getting their opinions so that they feel part of it? Or, or do I have to you know, offer them a bonus to do the, the training? Oh, your mic doesn't seem to be working. Oh, I think you're okay. muted. There, uh, I, I'm not sure I completely understand your question. Well, you were um, talking about in incentivizing this so that people actually take it more seriously or they want to do the training. 
but I've never actually been forced to do training. And I've been forced to do training where the only incentive was, if you don't do it, you're in trouble, which is not a great incentive. Yeah, so, no, I don't think I don't think people should be forced to do management training at all, because I think it's a like I said, it's a commitment to a responsibility. You have to be willing to take up that responsibility and and want to grow into that role. So, you know, if, if you're trying to force feed somebody management skills, I don't think that's going to have an effective result at all. No, that really doesn't take us to the effect of implementation, does it? Um, <laughs> uh, Jeremy, uh, I think you still have your hand up. If not, we're going to go to Ariana. But Jeremy, you first. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be looking at back at the, some of the some of the PDFs and whatnot, and talking about them. So kind of like a verbal PowerPoint. So I'll be giving a lot of information on some very specifics. So Tom, please feel free because I won't have be able to see my screen. Just you know, interrupt me. Um, but uh, something that, that Linda Ann said about people aren't looking at the people, they're looking at the leader. That reminded me of, you know, when you have a, you know, you have a classroom and you have a substitute teacher who obviously hasn't earned because it's a substitute teacher first day there, hasn't earned the respect of the class yet. And you have this one kid throwing the paper airplanes up front. They're not looking at the kid playing throwing the airplanes. They're looking at the substitute teacher because they want to see what's going to happen. What is, what is that leader going to do? So it just kind of made me think of that. So on to the question, your last question, Tom, of how do you get people to want to take the program? If you run an effective program for two years, it's going to become word of mouth. You got to take this. This person told me about it. They're going to want to do it. And don't, I, I never got this far. It's something I always wanted to do. Um, but, I, you know, don't negate some of the different, you know, interesting, cool things that you can do. I always, and I don't have anything to back this up because it was never implemented, but what about having, you know, you have, if you're going to spend the time and the money to have these good trainings, advertise them, right? What about a movie? What about having a cool movie poster done? And, and you have these movie posters set up in different areas that, but there are movie posters about the trainings. You know, there's just really cool. I mean, really cool ideas that you can have to give some uh, some star power to the not only the, the the trainings themselves, but even the the people who are facilitating. Um, so there's some things that you can do there. And if you have a good pro, if you have a good program, it's going to get word of mouth, and you're gonna you're gonna be busting at the seams, and you're gonna have have to start to limit it because so many people are gonna want to join in. The overall over a number of years that I implemented at the particular and it's 12 weeks, by the way, uh, I miss I miss I know I misspoke because I did say nine weeks, but I'm looking back at all the material and it was actually 12 weeks. Uh, the within a year of taking the, the pro, you know, if you have a good leadership program, I mean, yes, I'm talking about mine, but because I don't know the date on others, but uh, a 51 percent promotion rate within a year of taking the leadership program that, that I created. So you can have some really interesting things there. But I want to talk about some of the different specifics that can be done that can draw out, you know, engagement, draw out some uh, mystery, draw out really trying, really fanning out what people are learning to different parts of the organizations. So on week, you know, for the, for, for the first week. So the way I the way I did it was people would come every every week for about three hours and 45 minutes. And uh, that lasted for the entirety, right? So first, of course, you set your expectations and your ground rules. 
and we do uh, we do a psychological contract. We talk about that. And now, of course, you know we we call that if you're weary of calling that a psych contract, call it a communication pledge. Um, I have a template that I created. And we've talked about that. There's also, if you're listening on the podcast, there is an entire podcast that we did on psychological contract. It's probably, my guess is around like episode 40 or 50. Um, And we talk about effective learning strategies. I always go into these types of, of, um, you know, anytime I say training, just a side note, a personal side note. When I say trainings, I'm always torn because training is such a, it can be seen as archaic, but it's accurate so when I see when I say trainings, I actually mean a training. My definition of the trainings that I do are experiential. You know, thinking about adult learning theory, where you have people using their their experiences, taking current problems and and putting them into storylines that they can uh, help to work out. So very um, really immersed and involved. And three person teaching helps that. And I tell people the first day, no matter what. Don't look at this as you are sitting and learning something. Look at this as you are learning so that you can teach other people. Because when you do that, your mindset completely shifts from, I need to learn and remember this stuff, or at least try to care about it because I'm here. But when you think about it in terms of, I need to teach other people, you put it in your, your brain processes it differently. It's called, it's, it moves more towards elaborative rehearsal which is putting things into examples that we can understand analogies so that we can share that with other people. And part of my programs, what I, what I also do is I have a learning partner where, you know, people will, people that are in the program must, must decide on a learning partner and the learning partner. It's interesting. Can even be their manager or their supervisor, but they meet with them for, you know, maybe 15 minutes at a time. And they teach them, or they might be a coworker, and they teach them the concepts that they learn. It's good for the organization because the organization gets a lot more bang for their buck because now you have, let's say, 30 people taking a program, but you're actually affecting 60 people. And you're actually affecting 90 people if you have the good supervisor involvement where you have a learning partner, you know, 30 learning partners who aren't supervisors. Then you have your supervisor who you're teaching them the skills. So now you're upscaling your, your so you have 90 people being affected by 30 people sitting in on a class but again it takes these um i hate uh, outside of the box i need another term i don't like terms that are stale but it takes thinking outside of the box Ooh, i said it again to re- to start to understand you know what's really effective i also we also go over the the WIFM, right the what's in it for me so we explore the internal the external motivations and rewards for the people in the program. I also make sure that they apply it. I say, look, whatever these concepts that you learn, especially more the soft skills, the communication skills, the bring in, you know, when we talk about examples, talk about examples that you have in your personal life or home or work. Doesn't I always say, look, it doesn't matter to me because whatever is important to you, that's when you're going to start to become more involved. And you're going to start to have an emotional attachment to the content and you're actually going to practice it. I'd rather you practice it and get good at it, maybe with your personal circumstances. And then it will eventually bleed into who you are as a, as a worker per se. And I also go to um, focus on changing misery to dissatisfaction where they can look at what their current state is and then make a decision about, Hey, okay, now with this program, where could that take me? Therefore, I'm dissatisfied with my current state, and I'm really going to put all I can 
into into what into learning and into the the specific aspects of this um and that's the that's the the internal part and then the next week i work on the external part so how can we work with others and how can we learn to take the perspectives of others to be truly active listeners for their success so it's kind of like a here's for you and then here's for me but i always start with what's in it for them rather than just start into here's some concepts learn them it makes a big difference with the um with those aspects that i that i just mentioned the other thing that i feel is very important is a supervisor support session supervisor support you look at the various studies when you when you average it out it's about 70 percent of effectiveness of any training program is due to supervisor support sessions I went and did a uh, this huge matrix on the five most effective training programs basically ever in corporate America. And I looked at what are, and maybe when someone else is talking, I'll look to see if I actually, I'll see if I can find what I'm talking about now to share more information. But there's five that have been studied and studied and studied. And you look at the components of those. One of the components is longevity, which is why this particular one is 12 weeks. The most effective programs are, are actually six months to nine months long, but that is a tall order for any company to say, all right, we're going to take, we're going to really back this up. And we're also willing to take employees off the floor for this amount of time per week so that they can be engaged. But I'm telling you, if you, if, if your organization is able to and willing, you know, the, the more in-depth and the longer is, is better. Um, but the supervisor support session is where the supervisors actually come in and your room is your, your learning room, your training room is busting at the seams because they, all their supervisors come with them and they work together with them and they feel what it's like to be in the, let's say class with them. And it's also kind of, it, it's neat because sometimes you'll get, uh, you know, one, um, you know, one supervisor who actually has two or three of their employees in the class. So it's a really good, um, I mean, you can just imagine what, what, what comes out of that. The, the bonding, the professional X, Y, Z that comes out of that. Um, and, and so, I mean, there's just countless studies that supervisor support and follow-up is the, really it's the single most important factor in the, and we call it transfer of training or transfer of learning from any kind of classroom into the actual operations uh, of an organization. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. So I was going to ask you a question because this is yeah. great knowledge and information. Ariane, we'll get to you in a second, but if I'm a young IO, you know, I've just come out of university or, or maybe I'm, you know, doing my PhD and my, you know, thesis is on building a leadership program. How do I start? Like, where do I get that information? Do I just 
pull a leadership program off the shelf and go, here's my leadership program, or where do you start? So I, I guess that depends on who you are and, and how you like to go about things. Um, what I did with, with this is I did, I did an audit of the current leadership program that was in place. That was the nine week one. That, that, that's why nine week was sticking in my head. And I did, I did an audit for, I think their full program. And I just sat in and I said, here's, this isn't working. You know, I take the energy of the room. Um, I talk to students after the fact. Um, I would go out into the operations, into the various departments, and I would speak to supervisors and managers. So I did a lot of, you know, gather a lot of intel. And I also experienced it as they did. And I realized it was uh, it was not good <laughs> in the, the program. So off of that, I, I, I decided at that point, you know, good or bad, some people might not like this idea. That's okay. But I took the entire program that was in place and I just put it away and I never looked at it again. And I just created this all from scratch and I created it based on what I knew. I created it based on a lot of the, a lot of the research that, that I had done. A lot of this, you know, what some people call is dry, what other of us call is interestingly investigative, looking at it through peer reviewed articles of research. And that brings me back to what Dr. Patricia Delgado told us, take 17 years of 17 years between research when it actually gets implemented. So there, there is where it happens, right? So the research that I was looking at was probably an average of 17 years old. And I was fi finally able to implement it into an organization who had just kind of gone off the cuff, hired some outside organization to do training. And they were, um, they had been doing the same training for 15 years and uh, with, with, with no changes, that kind of thing. So it, de it depends. My, mine, you know, my style is obviously different than other people's style, but that's how I went uh, about it. Just brand new, fresh, talking to people, what's needed and what can be done. Um, and on that note of fresh, and I'd go over this anyway, I introduced a, um, not a book club, but a book, um, what did I call them? Just book discussions. And I would have them in interesting places in the organization, you know, use, use the, uh, the executive conference room, right? Use some of the, uh, you know, if, if you have any interesting, uh, any interesting venues, any interesting, um, <clears throat> you know, restaurants, whatever it may be, but that's where people would meet to do these book discussions in a different location and in a different spot where they could relax a little bit. And also what I did with those book discussions, so they didn't have to listen to me talk for the whole 12 weeks, I would include different subject matter experts from the organization to lead these book discussions. And they were super happy to do it. People in the organizations got to meet some people who they viewed as very important uh, people in the organization. Um, so some of them were, you know, GMs of properties that, that it was, it, we had really interesting and, and important people that were leading, actually leading these book discussions. So there's different ways to do that. And of course, with book discussions, there's um, some logistical things about splitting them up and what's offered and, and those kinds of things. And what, what are the books that you choose based on the organization's needs? But again, thinking out and, and deciding what is important. And those book discussions turned out to be one of the most important parts of building that camaraderie um, within the group and building engagement after the fact. I mean, you can imagine with a with a 12 week program, when you have book discussions and you have all these different things that the, that the engagement in the classroom becomes kind of like the engagement. If, if you're teaching a college level 
psych course for, you know, 16 weeks and you're on week 10 and everyone finally knows each other. I mean, what kind of, how, how awesome is that in terms of the learning and the, the environment for, for that particular, uh, cohort of, of, of people. Um, so Tom, do you have, I, I can continue to go. There's, there's still more stuff to share in terms of the very specifics. So, but Tom, you're, you're, you're the boss here. So I'm going to, what, what should I do? Should I? Well, should I think, I? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, 10 weeks for them to learn each other's name. You've got to come into one of my acting classes within the second week, you know, everybody's name. Uh, Ariana, let's go to you next. Linda, and you'll be after that. Uh, and if anybody else wants to join the discussion, please just raise your hand. Ariana. Hi. Yes. I, I wonder if my, what I was going to add is a little bit not related to all of the great information that Jeremy just gave. So feel free to pivot the conversation if you'd like to. Uh, I actually want to take us back to the whole conversation around mandatory versus non-mandatory. And I am just going to like put out an opinion that I think that sometimes it is okay for leadership training to be mandatory, but I think that kind of goes back into the way that the program is marketed and presented. And then like Jeremy said at one point, well facilitated because, you know, if you force somebody to go through kind of a textbook, fairly boring, dry training program, then I, they might not like it. But I actually, I know that this is a big investment for companies, but I do think we really need to be investing in our leaders and leaders are what really keep people. People are most likely to leave because of the leaders. So I think it is a well-spent investment, but I really like the retreat approach to leadership, whether or not it's one day or three days um, for first-time managers or senior leaders. It might be on site somewhere at their company, but ideally even taking them away from their environment a little bit. So it feels like something fresh and new. It's a great opportunity to get people from different departments, locations together. And it feels like you are investing in them. It feels like you are taking them away to invest in their abilities as leaders, as important component of your organization. And then that also provides a lot of opportunity to really make the content and game to work a lot of activities throughout the leadership training where, you know, maybe it's a simulation of a workplace context where they're engaging in new content, they're learning new skills, you have a lot of opportunities to be like, pause, why did you make that decision? How did you lead your group? You were assigned a leader and here's how your group responded. And it makes it a lot more engaging and people actually enjoy it. And then you can also embed more social events like lunches during the sessions. Uh, we had one session where we took everybody to Top Golf for dinner, and that was both hilarious and created a lot of social bonds. So I think we can really reframe the way we think of leadership training and make it something that is very enticing. And even if it is mandatory for all leaders, it's something that they can look forward to. And then, you know, recognition on the back end as well. Um, I've been at companies where they announce all of the people who went through the leadership training to the company. And so that employee recognition goes a long way. And people are like, yeah, what was that? And then I also, last thing I'll say is kind of takeaway key messages where maybe use an acronym, one that um, I've heard in a different company was SAM, where it was set direction, align resources, motivate and inspire. And the whole time they were coming back to SAM, SAM, and then they got like back into their workplace and they had these like anchoring points for using their leadership material. And then to that whole word of mouth thing, you know, some people would, you know, be new members to the leadership program and they'd be like, what is that SAM, you know? And so anything where you can make it 
something that's inspirational, you know, draws back to the workplace, but is also a benefit to employees is I think the ideal sweet spot. And I think you've hit on something that's, that's really important that we don't talk about enough is because when I was teaching in academia and we did, you know, personal development days, I was always asked to do a workshop and it was basically for instructors in post-secondary who have this problem where they're boring, where the students just find them really boring. They tune out. So how important is that factor of just being entertaining and being able to keep people's attention so they don't check out? Are you asking me, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's really critical. Um, so I actually worked at a leadership consulting firm in my last job, and they were methodical about the people that they would put, quote unquote, on stage. Like you would get prepped in training and your delivery was important and you needed to know how to run activities, but also have the ability to pause an activity and give in the moment feedback. So I think that that facilitation component is, I think, like Jeremy said, equally as important to the content itself. Yeah, it's it's a skill asset that you need or you might not be successful. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you and Lee, we're on to you next. Oh, Linda Ann, Mike. Oh, I'm, I'm having brain cramps today. Um, I wanted to just support what uh, uh, Jeremy and Ariana had said in how you package the program and how you create this aura around it is really important and can be very, very um, motivating. One of the things that I did when I implemented a, a mentorship program, part of the goal wa there was to create aspiration to participate. And we, you know, we did the marketing piece of it and announced it. We did, we launched it in um, January when it was National Mentoring Week. We did uh, education programs about what it would look like to be a mentor or a mentee and help them understand what the expectations were. We, they had to apply for it. Um, and then they were matched up. They had, and then once they were matched up, we had this big launch and it was a reception and their announcement of their partner was done like the Oscars, you know, and so, you know, they had the card, the fancy cards and they, you know, called up and, and it was, um, so you create, we created this aura around it. And then halfway through the, the year, oh, the other thing that was really key is we gave them all the tools that they, it was a, a whole manual that they could use for tools and skills and, and things that they could choose from when they got stuck or, you know, it was a reference mail, they could use it or not, but they had tools at their disposal to use. And then we halfway through, we did an evaluation on how's it going and those kinds of things. And we had a luncheon again for the, all of the mentees and all the mentors to get together and, and have a conversation. So, and then we did an evaluation at the end, we had identified particular goals that we wanted to achieve. So you really can, um, create that sense of, of this is something I really want to aspire to. How important are testimonials to hear from other people who have taken the training and how much it's benefited them? I think testimonials are key in any, in any situation, um, especially programs, because you want to see if somebody, it's really about the outcome, right? Did you get what you wanted? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're key as well. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Dr. Martha, we're off to you after that. Yeah, Tom, I want to I wanna circle back real quick on what you and, and Ariana both touched on about being interesting. Um, 
I just I had to share this. So one of one of my friends that uh, she's she's a trainer and she she's big on comedy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, her thing was always you should have a shtick if you're the trainer, and hers is a rubber chicken. And so what she would do is when you get into these conversations in your training and people start taking themselves a little too seriously or they're starting to get upset or whatever the case may be, she would throw the rubber chicken to them because you can't take yourself too seriously when you're holding a rubber chicken. You know, that was her concept. And then that person in turn got to throw it to the next person who, you know, got a little too far in. So uh, I thought it was brilliant. And actually, when uh, when she and I stopped working together, she gave me a little rubber chicken keychain that, uh, you know, um, just, yeah, great. But, uh, one thing I wanted to, to throw out as far as, uh, you know, the, the continuing education piece of this, that, you know, all these great ideas for, for starting a program. And I've seen some really good effective programs, but uh, I've also seen where there's a continuing aspect. That's more of a peer training that the, the people who have been through the training are able to do uh, you know, lunch and learn or something along those lines where, uh, Maybe it's an open discussion. Maybe it's, uh, you know, they have a topic, you know, they, they circle around and different people are the facilitator um, to, to continue the conversation going and to continue to support each other. And uh, almost even almost group counseling in some cases, like, you know, hey, I had this thing happen in, in the space the other day. You know, what kind of input can you guys give me to, to, to handle that? Because I was I was unsure. And I think that that that, you know tribe creation, if you will, that bonding experience and the peer support is, is there's just no word. You just can't put too big of a price tag on that. I mean, it is, it is crucial to keep it going because so many programs, I've seen some great, great, great programs that you go through and you do this period of time and everybody's great and you celebrate and you throw some confetti and then that's it. There's no follow-up. There's no nothing. It's uh, you know, you put a certificate on your, your cubicle wall and you, you go on and that's it. And then it all fades. And uh, so you, there's got to be some kind of follow-up and getting uh, action. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And, and I think rubber chicken sales are about to go up. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think Lee read my mind here. There were a couple of points that I wanted to make in terms of the quality of a training program. Is it being applied or the concepts that were learned or supposedly learned, are those being applied in everyday life and operations? If all we get is a certificate on the wall and none of what was taught and learned is being transferred to the uh, organizational everyday experience, then it seems like a waste of time. The other thing that I think is important is to make sure that the training is organic and evolving. Don't get so emotionally attached to a training because you put a lot of work into it and refuse to change it and grow it, which goes back to feedback. What did you think of this training? What was good about it? What was bad about it? Let's take that information and allow that training to grow and evolve because that's going to benefit not just the quality of the training itself, but also those who take it and then by extension, the organization. Yeah, I guess one of the primary things about leadership is keep growing. And even leadership training should keep growing. And uh, talking. And talking. <laughs> uh, Linda, Ann, let's go to you next. And then Jeremy, I think we, we probably should bring it back to you. Well, that's, I have a question for Jeremy, because one of the things that I've noticed when, in, in some of my experiences with with leadership and really bringing people along as leaders is being able to coach them 
in the moment, in the real time, and and have them incrementally grow, you know, with, with given situations. And so when you're talking about your leadership program, uh, are you do you feel that some of the examples or how you bring have them bring their experiences to it is enough for helping to create that change in behavior um, on an ongoing basis? Or how do you normally handle that? Uh, Rephrase the first part of that question for me. I think I got it. So uh, my question is, is how do you really, one of the most valuable things I've seen in, in my experience is when someone has a particular management issue, they come and they talk to me um, and get some coaching on how to approach it so that they learn possible management approaches for that given situation. And they learn as they do, and it's in real time. How do you take what you do in your 12 week program and help convey that over time? You know, help them implement that over time. During the program? During the program or in the moment? And beyond. So it's, it's, well, the program, it's part of it is what the program consists of. Let me make a note so I don't, um, I just lost my thought for my note. So I think I got it. So part of it, well, let, let me go to, let me go to one thing is in the, in the moment, um, it, it, the whole idea of the, of the, of a good course is to turn people is to change behavior. And to start to help someone become something so that things just become second nature because they're practicing it for so long. So when you look at the components of the course, those are going to be the important ones because hopefully they're going to they're going to stay and they're going to matter far beyond. Um, let me look. Let me just pull up something here. When you look at the, it depends on, for, first it's the, it's the concept. So when you supply people, so, you know, I would supply people with a, a bunch of different, what I call success templates, which are how to deal with very, these very specific things that happen. Um, you know, and that helps because that's, that's something that they can review, but the concepts also matter because we look at different things like motivation by appreciation and creating an engaged workforce. Um and also the critical communication skills. And that's, of course, a really important one with the effective communication. And we go, you know, deep and deep and deep. And one of the best things to do in that point is to role play. Role playing is very easy one to one on a Zoom. Role playing is very hard when you get into a more of a group scenario because, the, you know, there's no, nobody wants to, st- to stand up and get in front of the group. But when you have people sit down, it's a little different. And, and role plays get, much easier when you do it that way. So I'll suggest role plays, but very, very limited in any kind of situation where there's other people involved. It it's it works, but it just it, it backfires often. So in a more effective way that I uh, have seen, Ariana, thanks for oh she's gone already. Thanks for thanks for being here. She sent us a message. Some of the things make index cards your best friend. And that's one of the one of the, the driver, and I, I would attribute to the most communication and, and the best learning experience was I would have people, I would hand out index cards all throughout, and I would do temperature checks. All right, everyone, write down whatever you want. 
And some people would write, I got a new dog. Some people would write, speed up the pace. Some people would write, whatever. But I would have index cards that I would go through during each break on how people are feeling and what they're doing. I also did temperature checks on a scale of one to 10. How well is this going? And then write a comment. And then I would go through those. I would also write, what are some of the things that you hope to learn today and that you would hope to leave with? And I would get those. So I'd have these cards and, you know, no, I would say, don't put your name on it. Not only, no, they're all anonymous, right? Which encourages more uh, accurate information. But I, I'd, I'd always know exactly what's going on in the room. And I would I'd be able to fly that plane, you know, up and down, up and down with the, uh, with the energy in the room. And, uh, but the most effective thing I, I did, especially with the, is I would have everyone write on an index card, a tough scenario. In their perfect in their personal life or in their work life, and I cannot stress enough how effective this was. And their per- and I would collect the cards, and then I would put people into groups of uh, whatever made sense, three anywhere from like three to five. And I would you know pick a card, any card, and they would pick a card, and then that group would have to work on that scenario based on the very specific, F- you know, I do FBI site communication stuff based on the very specific uh, techniques. And we would walk through those. So it's, a, it's, it's kind of like it's role-playing light where you've got the weight of everything is on the entire group. And of course, there's a point person, but, there's, but by then you've developed you know, tons of trust and rapport and you can use all the fun things like the six-second rule to keep them, keep them talking. And then the whole class realizes they don't because they're in the moment that you did the six-second rule. So then everyone laughs and then they laugh. But there's so many fun things that can be do just because each group has this index card, which they work on. And sometimes they'll, they'll work on the same scenario uh, for a day or two. And these are tough. They're tough scenarios. And I've gotten scenarios, you know, so one, one of the toughest personal scenarios was, again, personal, personal scenarios are fine because they're meaningful and they can eventually be applied to the workplace. I've had scenarios where, you know, uh, one of our, one of our um, uh, uh, valets accidentally took the keys home to a customer's Lamborghini, complete accident. So then we had to deal with that, you know, just forgot to take him out of his pocket. All right. And one of the, and then there's another one. It was uh, my in-laws just moved next door and they're always at the house when we get there and they're always there and they never leave even when it's time for bed. So we work on these different situations and to great results because people, you know, they work on them, they have 12 weeks. And then you see how many of these different problems that are solved by exactly incorporating um, the techniques that are learned. And also, of course, because there's so many bright people in the room, the suggestions from those individuals. Um, and in terms of follow-up, because this was mentioned, there's uh, I, I, during this during the supervisor support session where they're there, I have them get their calendars out right then and there, and they schedule out six weeks of 15 minute meetings, six months of 15 minute meetings where they reconnect with their supervisors over the um, over the materials. So that's very very important. And I and a, a quick trick based simply on willpower and habit when you notice a complete dip in the room because let's face it sometimes you've sometimes either your subject matter becomes just a little dry and even the best of facilitators have a little bit of a hard time with it. Sometimes you're teaching uh, something that's mandated by the organization and it can be dry. Have a bowl of candy and give out one or two pieces of candy. That little boost in energy and, and, and the sugar can, I, honestly, it can make a difference. I tell people, you know, go into a job interview, 
eat a piece of candy first. There's a big, there's actually something that happens there in terms of willpower. But um, I'll also say if you're facilitating, whether know whether you facilitate better by yourself or better with someone else, because that's going to make a big difference. Some people who facilitate better alone, when you get someone else, the training stinks. Sometimes it, it, it can really stink, right? On the other hand, if you you know need that tandem, that back and forth, make sure that you, you, there's always a way to work it out. If you get mismatched, there's a way to work it out. But as long as you both know each other's style, because that, that single person can get into a state of flow, which is absolutely amazing sometimes. Um, but know that as well. You're and, also being, sorry if I'm but you're also being uh, per, perceptive, like you're using your, you're in the room leading these people and you're noticing their body language. You're noticing their facial expressions. You're noticing what they say and how they say it. And those are all clues as well, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice. And here's a tip for any facilitator. Yeah. If the, the quietest people are sometimes and we've talked about this. The, t- the quietest people are sometimes the people that are getting the most out of their, their class, the class. They might be taking notes. They might be writing notes on ideas on how they can implement so if you have the quieter people who are introverts, just know that they're likely thinking they're likely not checked out and they might be getting the absolute most. Um, always do surveys after the class, uh, no, no matter how many good, great marks you do a survey, you're going to get some that even if it's like, oh, I didn't like this. It feels like a punch in the gut, but you get over it soon. Um, the other thing I'll mention in terms of that's very important, have any what I would do. And this was. The, the for, for at first you hear like, oh, what are we doing? I would go into every new session, every weekly session. And I would say, all right, yeah, 15 minutes, go ahead and write everything you can remember from the last session. That was one of the most effective things. They didn't like it at first, but recall is way more effective than review when, you, when you're talking about learning new concepts, because they ha- it's, you have to recall and you have to understand, re- recall the concepts of where uh, these things came from. And I would, of course, do temperature checks on that. And those temperature checks would include, um, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much did you enjoy the writing activity and what did it do for you? And the feedback was always great. The average, I averaged it out was always eight. Eight's a pretty darn good number. And people would say, I haven't written this much since high school. A lot of times I would, well, I mean, I would just leave the room, you know, go leave the room, get a coffee, hang out. And they would be writing and I would pop back in. They're still writing. Sometimes I'll pop back in. It's 20 minutes. Everyone's heads are down. I would say, hey, it's been 20 minutes. Do you guys want more time? Yeah, we want more time. Sometimes they go on and people get into it. People people love that kind of stuff. I know I got a little off track, but Linda, Ann, does that help? No, that's exactly the kind of information that I was hoping to get from you. Oh, great. (laughs) You hit the target. Right. (laughs) Uh, And with that, Jeremy, we're a little over time, so... I see next week we're talking about building and implementing an effective employee onboarding program. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, any CBOC news? So that will be same as today uh, where we'll have our discussion and I'll be able to provide some of the things that, that I have found sp- specifically towards that, towards a good on- onboarding program. So that is exciting. We also have on May 24th, I believe, if you go to cbuck.com slash events, the IO community uh, town hall. Town hall, yes. Town hall, which is going to be absolutely fantastic. And we are whisking people off the the current wait list. And uh, that's going really well. We're becoming very uh, efficient with getting them through and giving new people the experience they need. 
And the last thing I'll mention is we're going to go ahead right over into game time. So we'll do it again like we did last time. I'm just going to type in, it's in the chat. You might want to copy that link because it might not let you in right away until we close this out. But there's a link if you want to join us for game time. And uh, of course, I'll just take a two minute break and then we'll be back and we'll do our game time. That's it for now for me. All right. Sounds good, Jeremy. You want to count us out and we'll see everyone next week. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Great, as always. Counting out. See you in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs>